Hey, voice teacher, it is Nikki from Full Voice Music. Today's podcast, podcast number 54, my special guest is voice teacher and author, Mr. Brian Lee. Today, we are talking about his wonderful book, Sane Singing. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast, teaching strategies and resources for voice teachers working with young singers. Now, here's your host, Nikki Loney. So I am so excited, everyone, uh, to introduce my my good friend, Brian Lee. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you. I'm very glad to be here. So I am really excited, and uh, I'm so, so thrilled that you could join me today. You have just released uh, a brand new book called Sane Singing, A Guide to Vocal Progress, and uh, as soon as I got home from the convention, I... Um, I dove right into it. And Brian, I have to tell you, this is an incredible book. And I want to thank you for putting this together because I think you're going to help so many people. Well, thank you. It's really wonderful to hear that kind of feedback. Uh, You say in your book, it's written for the singer who is seeking voice training. And you're just trying to make things easier for them and and steer them clear of some pitfalls. Uh, But I also think this book is brilliant for voice teachers. So I want to kind of talk about both angles of that in our conversation today. Can I ask just right off the top, what was your what was your primary motivation for for writing and putting this book together? Well, I came back to voice study myself after having not sung for a long time. And in that sort of interval, when I decided I wanted to really sing again, the proliferation of, of voice methods and packages and pedagogues and and uh, all the different things that are marketed to singers, let alone the old-fashioned, you know, go to school, get a degree, or get lessons at a conservatory path, uh, it just exploded. And I, I think it would be really bewildering for a person who's just starting out um, to figure out where they should go, how to set criteria for what makes sense for them. Can you give everybody a little bit of your background? Because you have a, an extremely unique journey from, uh, I mean, you're a seasoned musician, you play all sorts of instruments, but your journey to singer to voice teacher, can you just give everybody like a little, a little abridged version of your amazing story? Sure. Um, uh, I grew up in Western Iowa in a rural school district. And fortunately, it was a place where music was really important in the schools. So all through junior high and high school, two periods of my eight-period school day were music classes. Uh, so it was it was pretty neat. And and uh, considering the size of the district, it was very highly staffed. So you could get a lot of attention. So I explored all the instruments, and I sang and started singing in choir in, I believe, uh, ninth or tenth grade, and um, had a lot of fun with it. I was sort of more of a uh, making more of a splash as an instrumentalist, though I played all the woodwinds, especially. So I went to college on an oboe scholarship. um, And when I got to college, I thought, well, you know, it'd be fun to still sing once in a while. So I went to a choral audition and the choral director said, oh, my goodness, you have a nice voice and, and, you know, a really long range, very easy production. You ought to study with someone. And um, so I took voice lessons for half a school year, 
and it was kind of a disaster. Oh, really? Yeah, it didn't go so good. Um, oh. So I could I could tell I was getting kind of kind of bound up, and uh, and that I wasn't. It didn't feel fun anymore. Oh no. So. So it was kind of a drag, and in the meantime, I was still, you know, doing my instruments and uh, getting a lot of performing opportunities. So I thought, well, I'm not cut out to be a singer, so I'm not not going to do this. <gasps> so, right then and there, you decided not to. Right. I mean, I was there. You know, it's kind of my way was paid as an instrumentalist, and I also um, played the piano for people. Since I was very young, I really enjoyed playing piano with people. Um, so I had uh, worked with a lot of singers, even by the time I got to college. I had accompanied choirs and soloists um, on all kinds of instruments. And so I went to the University of Iowa, and although they had a strong piano program there, the piano majors were all studying their sonatas and concertos, and there was hardly anyone to accompany. So even though I was a woodwinds guy, uh, I paid my way through school playing the piano for ballet classes and instrumentalists and two voice studios. I had a lot of people uh, that I accompanied there. So I learned a lot of the repertoire of art, song and opera at the piano. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, it was, it was neat. And also that let me sit in on lessons with a bunch of different voice teachers. So I was just there lurking at the piano bench. <laughs> soaking it in. <laughs> Yeah, so so um, I had this contact with singers and helped singers uh, for, in a like a coaching and musical capacity since I was really young. But um, since I wasn't singing myself and I did not get a voice degree, uh, you know, when I was doing my bachelor's and master's, I didn't teach voice. I didn't feel qualified to actually teach voice. So fast forward uh, approximately... 19 years, I would say the pivotal moment for me, I was playing in a pit orchestra for a production of Peter Pan in Clearwater, Florida. <laughs> and I looked up on the stage and I looked back down the pit and I said, you know, I'd really rather be up there. <laughs> that was the moment. That was the moment when you changed. That was the moment. Oh, I love yep. that. And that's when I thought, well, I know it's not rocket science, even though I didn't figure out how to sing before, like, like, you know, professionally, um, I still would like to sing just for me. And so, uh, that's when I decided to look for voice lessons again. I had tried a few lessons in the past, like on my music ed degree Mm -hmm. at at Maryland. Um, and, and it it just went so, so it always kind of verified that I didn't have it in me, you know, like I didn't have innate vocal talent. It, it took me a while to sort of snap out of that. Now, looking back, knowing what you know now, would you say, would you say that it was the teaching style that that wasn't right for you? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I the the teacher. Well, funny. This all comes full circle. At this Nats convention uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked with. Uh, a professor at the school where I did freshman year. Mm -hmm. Uh, His name's Donald Simonson. And he has been an officer at the national level in Nats. Um, And I talked with him about that year, uh, a voice study uh, at my first university, Iowa State. Mm -hmm. And we talked about that faculty member. 
and she did not get tenure. She was kind of known to be a disaster. But, you know, when I, when I was 19, 18, uh, it was, you know, it's blind trust. I'm at a big university and, you know, I assume I'm going to get better. I'd never had music lessons where if I put in the work, I didn't see a result. Uh... And so it was, it was ironic uh, about that. But yeah, I, she wasn't, um, a highly skilled teacher. She was hired as artist faculty soprano because mm-hmm. she had a nice voice. And I don't think she really uh, was very skilled as a teacher. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? But what you know now. But yeah. is, was that a lot of the motivation for your book? Because I think, I think your book could actually save a lot of people from having to wait 19 years before they they change their mind and, and become the singer that they want to become. Yes, this is this is the issue. I think there are two things I believe now that if I had believed then, I would have become a good singer at a young age. The, the two things I believe are everyone can sing. Uh, That's yes. Thing. yes, yes, oh, yes, no. I agree. <laughs> and, and probably everyone should sing. The, the other belief is that uh, there is a way to figure out if you're getting what you need, you don't have to have blind trust in a teacher. There's some things you can figure out on your own if you know how to assess the situation where you can say, you know what, this is progress or, hey, nothing's happening. Now, this leads me to my next question, uh, because in 2017, you actually released a survey and th- this survey was part of your research for your book, correct? Yes, that's that was the intent. Yes. So tell everybody about the vocal satisfaction survey, because I, th- I find it very interesting what you did. Yeah. And so there, the, I could write a whole other book on the results from that. that the, oh. it, 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 it pointed the way for how, how to focus the book that eventually came out. The uh, questions on there were um, about how people felt about the present state of their singing. And there were several questions Um, both multiple choice and like essay type. Um, I I was careful not to make the whole thing too long, but where they, where they would answer about what they would do differently if they had a chance. That was a key thing. I really wanted to know is um, what would they do differently in their training? If not everyone who answered was a trained singer, some people had not had training, um, but many had. And so I wanted to, to just hear some comments about what they would do differently uh, and sort of then cross-reference that to how they feel they're singing today. And uh, so I took down, you know, basic demographics like uh, age, and it was all optional, really, but almost everyone volunteered these things, uh, age and stated gender and years of training. And I asked some questions about uh, genres they sing. Uh, and then these questions about what do you feel was great about your voice training? And when was a period in your voice training that you feel it was the most productive? Wow. Uh, yeah. So it was really interesting. But what, some interesting findings for me, 201 people completed the survey. Wow. Another 100 people bailed uh, halfway through or somewhere in the, you know, but I got 201 complete responses. And one thing that was very interesting was the older singers, um, felt the best about their voices if they continued to occasionally study. Oh, interesting. 
Yeah, most of the people who felt their voice was was uh, eroding with age were also people who hadn't had any lessons for a really long time. Interesting. Yeah. My studio is comprised of uh, young singers, as you know, but I also have a growing demographic of aging voice singers. So so singers that are uh, 50s, in their 50s and 60s, and I have uh, two singers that are in their 70s. And I find that so interesting because the singers that are coming to me have waited so long and they've been they haven't been happy with their voices for years but they waited so long to get some help yeah yeah oh interesting well let that be a lesson to those of you out there listening to this (laughs) podcast (laughs) was there anything surprising on the survey did anything just jump out at you yes a couple uh like one thing I can think of right away was the sort of hubris of some young singers. Oh. Uh, I had a couple questions in there about how they feel uh, about the quality of their singing and um, what they liked about their voices. Mm. And mm. Um, middle-aged and older singers were uh, much more self-critical. And, and there were young singers who um, had an attitude of, I'm fabulous. And it's like, and, and if they if they're doing great, I think that's great. Um, but it was very, it was interesting. Sort of the wording and the freeform answers made me wonder. It just set up, it it, it set off my little spidey sense of a little bit of um, ego investment in their singing. You know that mm. that that they they identified with being a star. Oh, oh, interesting. <laughs> to, so there, there are a few responses like that, but they were all from this demographic of like college age. Yeah, that that to me is unexpected because I guess as a voice teacher, all I ever hear is how they don't like their voice. Yeah, that's generally right. That's generally what it is. So I, I haven't had yeah that many people who uh, were in love with their voice and wouldn't change a thing. But I had a couple people answer the survey that way. I don't want to give away any spoilers because I want everybody to go out and get this book. Um, but I love the way that you've you've organized it. And I want to just highlight some of the things that I love. And I are you and I'm going to read some quotes from your book. I hope you're OK with that. OK. Yeah, OK. Sure. <laughs> so the, the first thing that I really admired and just made my my heart happy because I don't think we acknowledge this enough, was right in the beginning where you state, if you, you are a singer, if you sing, it doesn't matter how well or how badly, whether you get paid for it, which genre you sing, or for whom you sing this book, in this book, all singers are equal. I love that so much. And I was like, in, in our industry, as you know, it is, and as you are telling people in your book. I mean, it is a wild west. But I think it's I think it's important for teachers to recognize how challenging it is for somebody out there who is trying to find a teacher who is trying to grow in their in their talent in their singing ability. Um, and I also think that your book is a really good check-in for how we as teachers can better serve our students. I, I really I really kind of found myself 
asking myself, wow, I hope I'm not doing this or I hope I do a good job of that. So I want I want to thank you for that, because if, if you're a voice teacher out there, I think um, it's a really good check in. But I want to talk about the sad lesson. Yes. Can, we, can we talk about the sad lesson? Because I think every voice teacher listening to this has had the sad lesson. So can you just preview? Can you just give it a little preview and then we can just open up a conversation about that? Sure. So. Um, I had uh, a lovely high school student, a young man who started with me in ninth grade and studied all the way till college um, and had a fantastic experience teaching this kid. He he was really a wonderful student and a wonderful singer. And he sang with abandon and he, he had, he just had a lot going for him. His older brother has a degree from a major conservatory, like one of the top five mm-hmm. in the U.S. And the brother was really impressed with his little brother's progress and wanted to come for a lesson. This fellow had a combined uh, music ed and performance degree from this conservatory where he was considered a uh, you know, pretty decent tenor, really nice guy. And uh, he, he got a job teaching um, in a elementary school in a really good district and you know was doing that for a while and then he went on to do some other things um, with cantorial music. Mm. Uh, yeah, really interesting guy and, and went interesting places. Um, but he was so bound up. So in the lesson, um, he was uh, constantly apologetic and there was this huge wind up to how he took a breath and how he sort of set his body and then how he finally allowed a sound to come out. And it was so controlled. And it was so, I mean, I recognized a bit of myself, age 19 in that, in this guy, uh, mm-hmm. where, where he was extremely self-conscious. And I almost felt like it must have been that the conservatory baked it into him. Right. Um, you know, I've seen, you know, I've, there's been some others in my studio like that, too. They go to school and, and they learn layer upon layer upon layer of technique to pile on to their voice in order to sing. Mm. And um, it, it isn't working for them so well. Yeah, I really I related very deeply to that one because I've had I think we all have we've all had that student who's just working so hard. Yes. To create a sound and it's so hard to help them. Yeah. And it's so heartbreaking, too, because singing is supposed to be a release and joyous and expressive and and it is not for some people. For sure. And I, I think the the um, that sort of attitude um, made it impossible for him to come back for a second lesson. Um, mm. I, I think the lesson sort of freaked him out. Did it, did it probably made him reflect on the lessons he's had in the past? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it was interesting because uh, this conservatory, um, had the, the, this faculty person that he studied with uh, is New York based. And um, now he's working in Manhattan. Uh, oh. And I, I wonder if he's gone back to study more with that teacher and how that's going, or if he's trying other things. Um, but it's a interesting 
Yeah, it was an interesting chapter. His his little brother uh, continued studying with me for another half year or so until he graduated high school and um, moved away. And uh, his his brother couldn't be more different in his approach to vocalism. That's what was so interesting. <laughs> now, the other thing that I love in your book, there's too many things that I love in your book. Um one, I, I think your writing is really funny. I love your sense of humor. But I also love how honest you are. And I know, again, this is another thing that as voice teachers, we have to deal with in our teaching studios is the truth uh, and the reality about getting a degree in music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm going to, again, I'm just reading from your book because uh, it'll make me sound smarter. Um <laughs> So you say about, you're talking about a degree in something, there is a 99% chance that you will not be able to support yourself with only singing engagements when you graduate from college, and something like a 98% chance that you will never do so. So the way I see it, there are four basic approaches to going to college if you are a singer who wants a degree. So I right there, I want to thank you for being so, so honest about that. I have that conversation with parents, with students, and that that was my journey. That I I I think it was like a month after graduating from school, I realized that I'm not going to be able to put food on the table just from singing alone. And no one had ever given me a heads up about that. And and yeah. that's and that's how I that's how I fell into teaching, and I literally fell into it. It wasn't something that I had planned, but um, I want, I, yeah, th- I think that's a really important piece of information that we have to let people know. But I love how you go ahead and you give them some suggestions for the options that are out there. Oh, sure, sure, and you know, a fair number of the kids. I don't know if it sinks in at all. You know, yeah. if, if you hear me, but I feel I feel obligated. To, to state, you know, what I strongly want them to know, what I feel they, they should know. Um, the germ of that essay in the book uh, was originally a blog post years ago, mm-hmm. and I got a couple really angry young people who wrote and saying, you're being really discouraging. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, well, you didn't really read the entire thing and take it in because my point is that uh, getting a music degree may be the best, the best way you could possibly go. But to demand a certain outcome from it um, may make you unhappy. <laughs> mm, well, in, in all in all honesty, there's a lot of young people that are coming out of university who are learning that, and it's not just music. Like in a lot of different fields, who are learning sure. that that piece of paper is not a magic piece of paper, and Yes. It doesn't guarantee you anything. I don't know. Maybe I, I'm a hundred percent sure that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have listened anyways. And I would have gone to the college that I did, but uh, no, I think i I think it's great that you've brought that into to light. I think the pushback I got from, I mean, a lot of people said, Oh, this is, this is nice advice. They, they appreciated it. But from sort of the pushback that, that sort of, um, inspired the essays that surround that one in the book, uh, where I go on to talk about um, what a music degree might be good for uh, in terms of other kinds of employment that help support or combine with Mm -hmm. your music. And that there are a lot of 
kinds of careers in music that aren't being, you know, in front of the mic being paid 10 grand a performance. You know, there's, yeah. there's all sorts of ways to do music. There's all sorts of ways to study music. There's all sorts of ways to use a music degree. And the, um, so, so I, I was sort of fleshing it out more in the book about um, it's not as vocational as it seems. You get your diploma and then you get a singing job, you know. Right. <laughs> One thing just led to another. A lot of the stuff in the book, uh, the germs of the five major sections for sure were like themes I saw arising out of nine years of blogging. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so I, before I met you, um, your blog, so vocalability.com, I used to hang out there quite a bit. <laughs> and it was funny because when I, when I first met you, I didn't put you and the blog together until I think six months down the road. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was like, oh, wait a second, yeah. that's Brian's blog. No, the, um, what kind of, did you get a lot of feedback on your blogs and on your articles? Was that helpful? Um, a lot of them, not much. And then every once in a while, I would get a surprise about what uh, people felt like they wanted to respond to. Mm. And, um, you know, at the, at the convention, people said, you know, your book is sort of a... Um, there's a lot of sort of philosophy in it. Mm -hmm. And on my blog, too, it seems like some of the posts that are more what I call meta, you know, like about teaching or about the singer's life or um, ab about how we think or feel about music and singing, those seem to get the strongest responses. And then the others are nuts and bolts teaching. But mm -hmm. at certain, you know, when I just comment on an event I've been to or or uh, talk about, you know, the business of a studio, or I talk about general trends, um, those aren't quite as interesting to, for, for responses. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I have one blog post that surpasses all others. It gets something like 30 to 50 hits a day, which is how to teach someone to match pitch. Oh, yes. Um, that comes up really high in Google just because so many people go to that one. And I think it got picked up by um, a couple choral director associations. Right. And it's on their sites. And so, you know, things lead to other things. Yes. Um, so that's, a, you know, an example we were talking, it might have been before we started this interview, about the, the things that uh, capture people's attention the convention in Las Vegas, you did, uh, you presented um, the self-assessment protocol for singers, which is a big part of your book. So um, I just want to talk a little bit about that. So, so first of all, just give us a little heads up um, on the, uh, the self-assessment protocol that you talk about in your book. The sort of genesis of it had to do with the whole concept of, um, this crazy marketplace mm. and let's say you choose, you know, you start studying a uh, voice with a teacher or going to a school or enroll yourself in a program. What are ways that you know that you're making progress? And, and usually it's this top down stuff like, you know, a score at a jury or a placement at an ads competition or mm. getting cast for a musical or opera scenes or whatever, or other kinds of like winning things. Right. But I was like, besides winning things and, and earning things, uh, how can you analyze the, the process you're going through? 
to to see if you know you're you're growing as a singer. So mm. um, that was part of part of it. And then a few years back, Nats at the local level has these auditions where you can sing for judges and they will give you helpful comments. And it used to be a much more free form judging, like writing on paper. Right. Um, and then a few years back, they they attempted uh, to. I mean, mostly successfully, they started this thing called a rubric, mm-hmm. meaning just having a more organized way of scoring people, right. uh, trying to have, you know, domains of, of performing ability uh, that that you score um, or write comments on. And, you know, in a Nats audition, you have maybe a 12 minute slot and the, the judges have very little time to write comments. So. I thought, well, that's a start, (laughs) but what would a really thorough rubric look like? And what, what if we were able to get perspective on our own singing so that, um, we can figure out if we're progressing well or not, because one of the issues that happens, say with college, you go to college, you're assigned a voice teacher and theoretically you stay with that same faculty person for four years, but once in a while, someone will get in a situation that doesn't seem to be working out or there's a, you know, that there is a lack of progress or they don't really understand. Well, here's an example. So you go to college and a teacher says, Oh my goodness, you have terrible tongue tension and uh, you've been singing as a baritone, but I think you're really a tenor. <laughs> It'll take two or three years to sort this out. Although it may take a couple years to sort it out. Um, the implication is you're not really going to be able to sing for two or three years. So trust me. Right. I think that there, even if you're coming from a really tangled up state with all kinds of issues in your singing, whether they're technical or psychological or physical, mm-hmm. I think there are ways you can sort of check to see if you're chipping away at progress. Nice. So I identified what I felt were some important domains. And, and I'm very quick to say this is a first attempt at such a, a sort of complete self-assessment. It has technical things in it. It has performance things in it. It has reflection things in it. Mm. And uh, But it's based on uh, sort of an organized way of recording yourself, both recording really specific things and recording things that you choose to record, mm-hmm. and how you might look at them to figure out if you feel like you're progressing or not. I think it's really important to have a little piece of self-knowledge after everyone's given you input. And as a singer, compared to like instruments, for example, you get input all the time from so many people. Oh, yes. You know, you, you've, got, you've got audience who thinks they can you know, chime in on how, how you sing. And <laughs> you have people who make comments about you know, the quality of your voice. And you have strangers in the street telling you your support's wrong. You know, it's insane. <laughs> So um, I think getting a little perspective on your own singing in a calm manner can be really reassuring and helpful. Well, I I really enjoyed the, the self-assessment protocol because, uh, again, coming from a teacher who is working with younger singers, um, I'm not... I'm not overly keen on getting them into examinations or festivals right away. Like that is Mm -hmm. not 
my focus in my teaching studio. I think, A, a lot of kids uh, aren't ready for that kind of assessment, but I still want a way to be able to see that they're progressing. And I love the, I love the little exercises that you have here. So, um, you know, you're looking at things like agility, like being able to move through the notes and then pitch range, like how high and how low. I mean, like, I think students of all age want to know how high and how low they could go. Um, the one that I have not, been able that that I haven't done enough of and I'm going to start doing a little bit more thanks to your lovely book is the pitch change like portamento like going up and down that is not something that Mm. I have done enough with my students and I I have to tell you I threw that at one of my students the other day and it was very interesting um (laughs) and thankfully she's a very sweet well well natured uh, lovely natured girl who was up for the challenge um but um you also talk about dynamic change now in the podcast that we did a little while ago about we you already talked about the mesa de voce exercises um Mm -hmm. and then also the articulation and vowels like you're looking at all these different technical aspects and for a teacher again i mean sometimes we rely on on um like vocal examinations and again i think that in this teaching studio we can we can do this with our students and we can teach them what to listen for and we can teach them hey and i think also as a teacher we can say do you recognize that this is getting easier for you? Because sometimes they don't recognize that something's, you know how vocal progress is so mysterious and sometimes we're not aware of it unless somebody points it out. So, so although you, although you put it as a self-assessment for teachers that are diving into this book, I think this is a really amazing opportunity for us to help our students learn how to and teach them how to to gauge their their progress because i mean so many kids and so many singers they just compare themselves on your website do you have do you have a download for everyone that they could take a look at that self assessment protocol yes i i've made that public okay. so people can get they can get it free. So on, uh, it's uh, sane singing, S-A-N-E singing.com slash S-A-P-S. Th- that is, has the uh, document that tells them how to do the procedure of the, the exercises and the recording, suggestions about how to record, and then also the uh, comment and scoring sheet. Nice. And I want to say a, a little bit about... Um, the adaptability of these documents. So it isn't designed to be set in stone. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I say in the instructions of the protocol is that uh, it's not designed to compare you to another singer mm-hmm. and it's not designed to compare you to any particular standard. Nice. But that doesn't mean one can't have criteria right? and choose one's criteria. Um, for example, in the vowels section, a musical theater singer may have a place a different value, value on literal intelligibility of vowels than a 70s rock singer would. <laughs> right. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's perfectly legitimate to, you know, to sort of weigh one higher than the other, you know. Yep. Um, so I, I wanted it to be flexible. And I also felt it was important to make it available to non-readers. Mm. So all of the exercises 
on that same download page, there are links to YouTube videos nice. of all the exercises that show uh, my hands playing it on the piano. So they can see as well as hear uh, starting notes for like low, medium, and high. And so that they can also just get the patterns in their ears since that's how that's how ear musicians learn is through their ears. Mm -hmm. So they can, they can absorb the exercises that way without having to read the notation. I love that. How thoughtful. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, because, you know, there's I get a fair number of people uh, out of school, but who are really out there in bands. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they need to make it happen. They, they aren't here to get a conservatory training, but they're, they will be serious and work hard on their voices if you can uh, deliver it to them in the language they understand, which is by ear. Yeah. And I don't put any more value on reading than ear. And that drives some people a little crazy, but that's... That's the truth of most music in the world is it is learned by ear. Absolutely. You know, and I think this book is such a good check-in for voice teachers because we want to help these people, not make them feel bad that they're missing skill sets that we don't, you know, that they don't have. For sure. Absolutely. And um, also where skills are limited uh, by any means, you know, whether it's lack of technical development or recovering from injury or whatever. Mm, yes. I, also, I stress in that protocol that like you can shorten an exercise you can slow it down you can you can do your own similar exercise it's really the point of it is to get yourself thinking about these parts of your singing mm -hmm. uh that you might look at and um the other thing I, I say the whole thing if you if you like go through the whole thing it's about a 45 minute inventory nice but if you want to do one thing one week and one thing another week and the next part another week i mean there there's no because it's not we're not working to an rcm exam standard here right i mean i just think i singers and and uh, musicians in general in western culture are put up to standards and and uh competition and scores roman numerals oh. and letter grades and we get enough of that oh you my know? goodness uh, i want that in a so, t-shirt brian because <laughs> i it'd be an extra, extra large right <laughs> yeah with all, the, all those but it's where front and back <laughs> okay i want to move on to uh the singer's life section because ah. because you have some beautiful nuggets of gold in there. Um, you talk about practicing. You talk about the new voice every day, which I think is something that uh, our, our singers sometimes don't recognize. But you also uh, wrote a lovely little um, a little uh, essay on the aging voice. And you recently had a blog post about that. Can we just talk a little bit about the aging voice? For sure, yes. Um, I love teaching older singers. First of all, Me too. Um, you know that especially. I mean, because that almost all of them. I mean, I can't think of an exception. Um, get very excited about getting getting their voice to work better. You know, getting getting the um, what they perceive as as problems, being able to work on them you know, what they might phrase it, even at my age. The thing is, I find a lot of a lot of folks of all ages, but it's more important when you're older, don't know a lot about the right kind of vocal exercise to keep a voice supple and working and, and responsive. Mm -hmm. But there, there's a their voices do change through the years. Yes. And um, I think 
the colors they take on and the, the way the person behind them is singing the words uh, deepens amazingly, mm. you know? And I just, I really love that. And, and so, you know, I try to really encourage people to sort of relish uh, getting older <laughs> because they're going to have more to offer um, in terms of what singing is about, which is like moving people, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, I do. I do. I love that. I would, I, it, it's difficult though for some singers, like they really cling to the, I'm a soprano or I'm a tenor and they, yeah. and they identify so deeply with that. Um, right. How do you, how do you work? What are some tips for working with those people who are, who are really struggling with the fact that it, it's not, it, they don't sound like they did when they were 20. Yeah. Well, frankly, I learned an awful lot from my five years of teaching middle school, public middle school. Um, some of the issues are similar. Okay. There's, there's ways that there's ways that people on both ends of the age spectrum, they want to sound uh, a 13 year old, a uh, boy who's six foot four and has a neck like a sequoia <laughs> may want to may want to be able to sing all the Bruno Mars stuff in Bruno's key, oh. you know, and that may not be for him. Um, but what I do with the younger singers and the old singers is I say, but you have something now you've never had before. Mm. And you have something now that a person, um, you know, that you you can't sound like you used to, and that's freaking okay. <laughs> and I, so what I do is um, it's, I, do, I do encouragement like I do with a very young person. Like um, the sounds you're making now have so much artistic promise. Oh, I love that. You know, there's, there's, there's like new things to explore here that are really wonderful. And then I, I will uh, cite all kinds of singers um, from – jazz, R&B, classical American songbook, pop music, who are 60, 70, or 80, who are still doing amazing things Mm. in performance. And they don't sound like they sounded when they were 30. No. You know? And and it's it's more than okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So to, to hear like Ethel Waters or Alberta Hunter or Tony Bennett when they're in their 80s. Right. And then you hear how they're different from when they're in their 30s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a different sound. The voice has changed. But you can hear and feel the uh, the life lessons and the meaning oh, uh, in, in what they do, you know. So, so I, I really encourage, like, um, the voice you have today is full of promise. I guess that would be my summary statement. I love that. I'm stealing <laughs> all of it. <laughs> every voice is there's just so much in it and let's celebrate it and stop Mm -hmm. you know I call it time traveling so let's not go back into the past when things were there and let's not go into the future with all our worries and our fears like let's just enjoy where we're at right now that's the conversation that I love to have with them um now I want to share with everybody um I've defaced your book, Brian. I put hearts all over the page because it because it made my heart happy. And again, this is this is so important. The last page in your book, you I think you give the best advice, which is love yourself 
and love your voice. So I'm reading from Brian's book here. Get your tissues out. (laughs) If you are kind to yourself and others, your singing will be lovely. That right there. I want a t-shirt right there. (laughs) And then he continues, even if unskilled, Our voices are tied so closely to how we express ourselves and how and to how we feel that is that it is difficult to become a truly different person when we sing like it or not. Love for self and love for one's voice are connected. I love that. I love that. And then your last your last sentence, your voice is a miracle. Remind yourself often, however you can. I love that. Brian, right there. I got goosebumps. <laughs> well, fantastic. I'm glad. I think we forget sometimes as voice teachers, you know, we're always looking for corrections, looking for improvements, trying to fix, 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 fix. That sometimes, and this is something that I do with all my students, but I have to check in and I have to remind myself is sometimes I just do a lesson and I just tell them all the good things that they did. And all the beautiful things that I hear and all the all the unique and wonderful sounds that they're making. And I leave the corrections for another day. We got to make note of that. That's beautiful. That's beautiful, Nikki. I, I think it's a really important part because it's part of the, the whole rounded experience of uh, uh, of one's voice. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'll hear hard ass people say like, oh, I'm here. I'm here to be told what's wrong because I want to fix things and I want to improve. But um, part of the skill set of a singer is to understand what are the good parts of what you're doing. Right. If if you if there's no positivity in 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 your feelings about what you're doing, it's that's just incredibly sad. And and you're going to miss opportunities because you're not going to celebrate what you're doing really well. Yeah. And those things will start to disappear because you're not celebrating. You bet. So I just, uh, I really, I really enjoyed this book. Um, can you tell people where they can find this amazing book? Sure. Uh, it's available pretty much everywhere online. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, a Nook book and an Amazon book, and there's a Kindle version. And uh, they can go learn more about it and see samples from the book at sanesinging.com, nice. which is the book's own website. So, Beautiful. and you can link to places to get it from there. Okay. Well, I'm going to put all the links and are you, are you welcome, uh, welcoming to anybody that wants to get in touch with you about your book? Absolutely. And there, there's a contact form on the site there and they can get a hold of me there or on vocalability.com. Either one. I'm happy to hear from people. Wonderful. So Brian, thank you so much for this amazing book. I think it is definitely needed in our industry. I think it's not only helpful for students that are just starting their singing journey or maybe <laughs> are lost somewhere in their singing journey. Um, but I think this is an amazing check-in for voice teachers. I really think that this helps us to uh, to maybe rethink our our philosophies you know, and just check in and, um, as well to appreciate what students and singing, um, students are going through in their journey. So thank you for this wonderful work and thank you for, uh, hanging out with me in Las Vegas. We had such a good time. Mm, It was great. (laughs) And, uh, and of course being a guest on the, uh, the podcast today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. 
A very special thank you to my friend and colleague, Brian Lee, for sharing his story and the wonderful information in his book. If you would like to check out Brian's blog, as well as more information about Sane Singing, please visit our podcast page on thefullvoice.com. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review. That helps more people learn about our podcast and our wonderful guests. As always, I am wishing you inspired teaching and happy, or maybe should I say sane, singing. Thank you for listening to the Full Voice Podcast. For more information and teacher resources, please visit our website at thefullvoice.com. Canoe Music. Canoe Music.ca.